week. This is important. All of, of course, all of Scripture is important, but it's, different for di- it's important for different reasons. And one of the things we're going to be looking at while you're all turning to the, to the text today, once again, that's Acts chapter 18, verses 4 through 6. There's something that happens here with Priscilla and Aquila that we're going to look at very carefully, and we're going to go back last week a little bit, about what happened in Rome and what was happening to the Christian church. And it's very important to see that because we're going to see a real correlation from back then with really what's happening now. And it's really a problem. So let's read, and then we'll go into some of the notes here. Any correspondence, questions, as always, is very welcome. And uh, we'll get moving here. Acts chapter 18, verse 4. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. This is Paul the Apostle. He is now in Corinth, and the first thing he would do is go to the synagogues, and he would reason, and he would, and he would, uh, he would give the gospel. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. Now real quick before we go into this text, he says that Jesus was the Christ it doesn't mean that at the present time that Jesus was not the Christ anymore, but at one point that he was, and later on he wasn't. What he was saying was, while Christ walked the face of this earth, everyone had a physical and had a real incredible knowledge. Many of them saw him, and they got saved after Christ ascended, and they're coming back, and they're being reminded, that was God. Jesus was the Christ the very man that went and died for your sins, he was crucified in Golgotha, and they all knew where that was. He was the Christ. And that's, what, that's, that's the idiom, that's kind of like the way that it was presented here in Scripture, that basically what Paul was saying is, this Christ that ascended, who was here, was him. And now he goes to the next level and he says, it's still him, and he is God. That's what he's basically telling them. So we see here that at Corinth, Paul would have his hands full. He's in the middle of a place, as we talked last week, that was in, near the Isthmus. It was a very great trade region where a lot of um, boat merchants and all would come through. It was a real important area where there was a lot of money. But it was a lot of debauchery, there was a lot of deception, and it was a really very difficult place. And Paul goes in the middle of this, He would have his hands full, but he would go straight at them like an arrow. And he would be shooting the gospel at them. In verse 1 last week, we saw that Paul takes this long journey from Athens to Corinth. And then next, he runs into a very interesting couple of people. And we're going to talk about that again here in a few minutes. How, How very interesting is when we go into new situations. Isn't it incredible how we always meet Christians? They pop up. They can pop up out of nowhere. You just, just love that and you start talking to them. Lisey. Oh. 
It is, and it's no coincidence. It's incredible. Well, while we're at it, any other examples? There are a lot of examples we can come up with. Connections that the Lord makes. And it could be in the middle of nowhere. It could be overseas. Totally away from Lisi's homeland. Look at that. And what's amazing about that is that we see this in Paul's ministry over and over again. When you meet somebody like that, isn't it amazing how you're in sync on the very same gospel? And a lot of the same Bible verses you love will often come up. And somebody you never even knew in your life, you automatically are family with them because you, all, you sit there and talk about Scripture. It happened to me again this past week. It's incredible. Well, Priscilla and Aquila. Aquila and Priscilla. That is the two names that come up, and we're going to look at those a little more. What our Lord Jesus Christ presents to Paul is commonplace amongst the Christian faith. I remember when I met different members in the different, in the different uh, uh, sister churches in our presbytery, people that I never knew, and go to visit their church, go to Bible camp, go out there, and I preached at their churches, and I remember meeting people that I never even knew their names, and they would just sit down and we would talk about the Lord, and it's just a great encouragement to have that bond and to have that central focus and the central theme in your brain and in your heart about where your joy and where your comfort and peace truly comes from. You don't get that from sitting there talking about the weather and ball games and television. I mean, sometimes that's fun. But when it comes down to it, all these people I noticed at these churches are very much like us, and they're hurting. They've had people that have been in their churches that have left, and the last few weeks it's, been, it's really kind of heightened because one of the churches is hanging on by a thread. They've had a lot of, they've had a lot of things going on, and they're still trusting the Lord, and they're still trying, but we can still pray together, and we can worship the same Christ and encourage each other. We can see how Priscilla and Aquila, they were, they were there, they were enjoined in the fellowship, they were an encouragement to Paul, and this is what happens amongst Christians no matter where you are. If you love the Lord, He will make sure that somewhere along the line you meet other believers and become encouraged with them and fellowship with them. Aquila and Priscilla obviously... They were in a hotbed. We're going to look at that here in a minute. And we're going to really expound a lot more of what we missed last week. We had some really good correspondence and talk last week. But there's a couple more things we really need to look at. There's no doubt Paul's life was always in danger, as was theirs. And we can see that dear Aquila and Priscilla, lovely people that worked hard, they were kicked out of their homes because they believed in Christ. So the Lord brings them together in Corinth. And there they worked there many days. And we consider 
Look back in the Old Testament how Moses met Joshua, David met Jonathan, Peter worked with John the Beloved, and Paul was nursed back and ministered to a very resilient and a very worried Ananias. And remember how Ananias went to the Lord. You go back to Acts chapter 9 and Ananias says, you want me to take care of this guy? This guy is public enemy number one. I'm talking about Saul of Tarsus. He becomes Paul the Apostle. And in, when his very first days in the Christian church, Ananias says to the Lord, this guy's public enemy number one. He's dragging Christians out of their homes and he's incarcerating them. He's killing them. And you want us to watch him? Of course, why would he not be thinking about that? He would have probably been saying he's going to infiltrate our private churches and he's going to expose us to the Jewish council. And what did the Lord say? Do it. He said, that's right, you go. Keep your ears open, keep your mouth shut, don't worry about it, I've got this. And we can see how the Lord never lied. He never does. He took what you would have thought was public, public enemy number one and persecuted the Christian church and look, now already he's on a second missionary journey. And look what's happening here. Lisey. Yes. That's right. That's it. Right. Right. And the Lord, the Lord was... Just like the Lord in creation, He always adapts His creation to its environment. That's one of the ways you can really debunk evolution. You see the angels and how the Lord makes them a certain way with wings. You see in Isaiah 6 and the way that they're very much, um, they're very much adapted to their environment. You know, fish don't have wings. You know, birds don't have gills. You know, they all do the right things. Well, Ananias had been with Paul but Paul had been changed a little bit. In order to give Ananias a little bit of relief, he was blinded for three days. Remember that? It's a little hard to be public enemy number one when you can't even see your feet in front of your, 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 your feet in front of you and all. And that's what the Lord did. But from that point forward, Ananias, he helped train Paul. In essence, he was Paul's mentor in a lot of ways. And there's one Christian. Then you see Paul gets introduced to the Jewish to the Christian Jewish council, and he actually sits in on the session meetings. And they wind up, Peter and John wind up helping him over the wall, and they hide him, and they tell him to go back to Tarsus. They save his life when he was the one persecuting the Christians. And this happens over and over again. And so now, Paul had just come from the Jewish council not long before this. He's in Thessalonica, and it's something really big happens towards the end of this lesson today. Not only does he have Aquila and Priscilla there, but then he gets pressed in the spirit when very horrible things are happening with his delivery of the gospel, something incredible happens. And we'll see that here in a few minutes. The husband and wife team were to become close allies of Paul, the apostle. He loved them. And they loved him and encouraged him. This is what we're supposed to have as Christians. It's supposed to be a really passionate love for each other. That we're willing to go out of our way and do things to encourage one another. As the Lord said, who is my family? Those that follow me, they're our, real they're our real family. And he loved them. They risked their lives. Who can look up Romans chapter 16, verse 3 through 5 and read that thoroughly? This is very important because this is an absolute... Um, it's, this is an absolute... When Paul writes the Romans, he never forgets Aquila and Priscilla. Read this. Whoever has that, go ahead and read it. 
Yeah, Romans chapter 16, verses 3 through 5. Mm hmm. Give it your best shot. I couldn't pronounce it either. <laughs> Aponitis or... Bless you. <laughs> you see that? They had churches in their house. Why? They were kicked out of Rome. There was a lot of horrible things going on in Rome. The Christians were being persecuted and something else incredible happens we're going to look at. They were of the same craft. Aquila and Priscilla, they both... Uh, look at Paul. Though he was, he was a bred a scholar, and thank you, Teresa, for reading that. And though Paul was bred a scholar, yet he was, as has been on record, he was a master of an incredible trade. He was a scholar, but he was a worker. He shared this bond with Aquila and Priscilla. He was a tent maker or an upholsterer. That's what he did. Now, it doesn't seem like much today. We talked about this a little last week. But back then, look at what the Lord does. Here, Paul is on the missionary journeys, and it got expensive. He had boat rides. He would give things to people. He would take care of his expenses. But here, Aquila and Priscilla, although they're kicked basically out of Rome in their own province, they had come from Pontus, Italy, What's incredible is the Lord had given them a trade that there was probably no more lucrative place in order to be a tent maker than in Corinth. Because actually, I was reading some of the history in Corinth. There's the isthmus there. And literally what the boat merchants would do, as long as, of course, they didn't have a really large ship, a lot of them had smaller boats and they'd made a lot of money, they would literally pick their boats up and roll them on logs to go right through the town and go right through the isthmus so they could go on the other side of the canal they would let their boats be there, and they would need places to stay. So these people like Aquila, Priscilla, and Paul would make them tents, and they would pay them. The soldiers would pay them to make tents. They would also have outer, outer um, like pavilions, and they would make all kinds of different areas, sitting areas, like in the temples. And so this was actually a very lucrative business, and it was very desirable. So when they did this and they made the tents, they got paid well. We see here that Paul, he had made tents, or, or, or a tent maker would make tents for the use of soldiers and shepherds. They would be made of cloth. They would be made of leather or skins. And he made them as the outer. They, he would make these as was the outer coverings of the temple had been in the days of Moses. And there was an old Greek saying that said, that, that, that the, in quotes, sub polybus or under skins, which meant to live in a tent was to live under skins. So they were leather makers. That was not easy. Have you ever worked with leather? Have you ever tried to make something with leather? That's, I mean, that's really a lot of hard work. Remember Lisa's, my, my wife Lisa, her cousin was an expert in leather. Charlie makes leather, his buckles and all. See, he knows what I'm talking about. That's a, that's a, that is one major, that is an incredible craft. It's like blacksmithing. Now, I haven't seen this in a long time. If you go up Hyde's Road, there's a sign in front of a guy's house that says he's the local blacksmith. He does blacksmithing now. And that's something you don't see much anymore. The leather maker. The Jewish tradition was to leave children estates. But you know what I love about this whole blue-collar thing here about being a tent maker, 
Paul working. Paul did not depend on other people. He didn't go from town to town as some kind of a roving evangelist with some some revival tent with all this entertainment trying to make money. He made his tents and he paid for his own expenses and he was there. His number one objective is to give the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in old Jewish Jewish tradition, there was incredible, a couple of, I thought, were very incredible uh, quotes about how fathers really should teach their kids crafts, which is what happened with Paul and Aquila and Priscilla. One of the quotes was from an old rabbi centuries ago that said, He that teaches not his son a trade is as if he taught him to be a thief. Another said, He that has a trade in his hand is as a vineyard that is fenced. And we say that today that I think that's one of those, one of those really kind of, it's very sad that some of these old trades and all, they're kind of like a dying art. You don't see the handcraftsmen anymore. Look at the furniture you buy out there now. It's junk. You don't get hand-woven sofas and couches and all. You get all this junk from Ikea. I mean, you can sit them about five times and you fall through your floor. You know, <laughs> it's just, they're just not made very well. Lisey. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You hit the jackpot. <laughs> right. Right. Well, you know, uh, uh, artisans like Michelangelo, they were considered artisans. They were very look, well looked up to, even by the royalty. Right. That's like uh, Mike Rowe or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. It's, it is, and I, we used to, the kids used to love to watch when we were younger. They went to a while, we pop it on every now and then, Swamp People. To see how those guys go out there and get those alligators, Troy Landry, I mean, it's incredible what those guys do. It's this little tiny boat with a 700-pound alligator, and the guy's still, the, the little alligator's, the big alligator's flopping his hands and legs back and forth, and he's got his hand down there, takes one shot and pulls him up. That's an incredible trade. And that's something that's been passed on for hundreds and hundreds of years, and they've showed that, and how the Indians used to do that. Does anybody know how the Indians used to grab the gators without a shotgun? This was incredible. They used to take these big, long poles and spears. I'm not talking about little spears, but thick ones, and ram it right in the alligator's mouth. And that paralyzed, keeps them from biting down, and that's how they would control the alligator. Yeah, that was inc- that's an incredible craft. And so we see that in Scripture how, what was Peter? What did he do? He was a fisherman. Remember he threw down his nets with, with uh, Andrew, his brother? Andrew's the one that, uh, that brought Simon to Jesus. Did you ever know that? John 1. Peter didn't just trip over Jesus all of a sudden. Andrew was his brother. You, you should read about him sometime. Older brother Andrew was incredible. And his martyrdom was even more incredible. Andrew, he loved Christ. 
And Peter saw that because of his older brother, and they were both in the same trade. They were all in boats. And I've actually seen an actual physical representation of what the boats were like back then and how incredible they were. They had nothing on the bottom so that they could like, drag them up out of the water in order to be able to bring them in when they were filled with fish. You couldn't do that if it had a big keel on the bottom of it. You had to have, it had to be flat and dragged. And do you know they actually found one of those boats and they unearthed it about 10 years ago? Right there near the Sea of Galilee. It's incredible. They all had trades. They worked. And I maintain what Dr. James Boyce always said. He goes, I believe pastors today are lazy and they don't want to work. They don't ever want to work. They want to sit back and they want to turn papers. They want everybody... You know, it's nothing wrong if a congregation can afford to pay a good salary to a pastor, but he always said, and I, Dr. Sproul always said that, it's nothing wrong with a pastor going out and working for a living and making extra money and having some money for his family. That's what the apostles did. What was Matthew? Wasn't the best trade in the world. He was real hated. He was a tax collector. Christ himself, the master carpenter, the master builder, the chief cornerstone. And what I'm saying about this, and don't ever forget this. Aquila and Priscilla and Paul used their craft as a mission field. It wasn't just to make money, but it opened up many opportunities for them to witness and to give the gospel of Jesus Christ to the people, the very people they were working to. And that was a real bond that they had. Paul is a Pharisee and bred up up at the feet of Gamaliel, yet having learned to make tents, did not ever lose his art. He paid for much of his own travel expenses, food and clothing. He that had so much excellent work to do with his mind, yet when there was an occasion, did not think it below him to work with his hands. That was a quote from Matthew Henry. Even those that are redeemed from the curse of the law, he said, are not exempt from the sentence. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread. And that's never really changed. If you're not willing to work, you cannot eat. That's right. Well, that's true. Entitlement has become very lucrative, but that only lasts so long. There's nothing like having a country built with people that work with their hands. Look at our forefathers. Oh, I could sit and talk about this for weeks. Patrick Henry, you ought to see what he did up on um, Red... Uh, I can't remember now. Old, it was Old Red or something. Red, Red Field, his farm. You ought to see the stuff that he built with his hands. Patrick Henry. George Washington, go to Mount Vernon. You're going to, you know, I could stay there for weeks and look at what that man did, and he died by working out in the woods with his slaves. No, they were his employees. They were out there marking trees, and they were getting ready to fell a bunch of trees, and he caught a cold at 67 years old, and that's how he died. He got an infection, and they could not fix the infection. They just couldn't do it. They had the bloodletting on, and George Washington died. He was working. He was, he's the first president. He worked hard. He loved the Lord. You know, we see Paul worked hard. Who could look up second... Corinthians 11.9, and read that. And then Paul then writes to the church at Thessalonica saying that he worked diligently to earn his own living. 2 Corinthians 11.9, and we're going to go forward here. we got a lot of other stuff to cover. Who has 2 Corinthians 11.9? Thank you, Matt. Go ahead.
You know, and that's not just something, it's some little byline. Thank you, Matt. So, and somebody also look up, and give me a second, because I want to say something real quick. 2 Thessalonians 3, 8 through 10. This is not just a little piggyback byline on what we're talking about. Basically, this is a real, this is a real petition that it's good for a man to work and support his family and to not be burdensome. And, that, and not be, as we read also in the New Testament, I can't remember exactly, it's in Ephesians, less than an infidel, a man that does not take care of his family. And so Paul makes that very, very plain. Who has 2 Thessalonians 3, 8 through 10? Thank you, Lizzie. You ever heard that expression? You don't work, you don't eat? Well, it's another of many, many major expressions that we use even today from Scripture. You don't work, you don't eat. Well, we see that the, the, this is very important. These are most important applications regarding the fellow laborers. We're going to talk about it a little bit more. Aquila and Priscilla were of many of the diaspora that were forced out of their homeland by being counted with Jesus Christ. Always remember what Christ said in Luke 12, 8. Also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess... Now, I'm going to read this again, but I want you to remember this because this is a real lead-in for what's about to happen. Luke 12, 8. Also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. Oh, I want that. To be confessed, I don't deserve it, but to be confessed before the angels of God, wouldn't that be awesome? But he that denieth me, before men shall be denied before the angels of God. There is nothing worse in this whole universe, in your eternal existence, than to be not known. You know, we often hear about salvation. And a lot of people will ask, well, do you know Jesus? No, it's not about whether do you know Jesus. The demons know Jesus. Does he know you? And we know every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And many will say, Lord, Lord. And he says, I'll never know, I never knew you. That's bad. Well, there are a lot of people that didn't know Jesus. What happened to Aquila and Priscilla is, back, is exactly what I see coming here in America. And I think we need to be praying and preparing for it. Claudius Caesar was getting sick and tired of Christians. Today we suffer from what in America is during election time as the Christian caucus. Personally, my very personal, you want an opinion from me? I cannot stand people ever calling and saying and equating me with the Christian caucus. The Christian caucus is basically everybody that has a cross or everybody that even mentions some religiosity, even if it's voodoo, that all the atheists and all the woke liberals basically coin. That's really what it is. You know, if you like Joel Alstein, you're in the Christian caucus. If you're a Mormon, Christian caucus. If you like Billy Graham, Christian caucus. That's exactly what Claudius Caesar was doing. How do we know this? We just read it. Did anybody see that? Did you catch that, what happened? He didn't just kick out Aquila and Priscilla and go after Paul because they were blood-washed, born-again Christians, and they were real Christians. He wanted to get rid of all the Jews. A lot of them weren't even Christians. 
but he thought they were part of the Christian caucus. So instead of trying to sit down and interview them and find out who was what, he didn't even have any care about that at all. Just like, just like our Congress, they don't care if you're a Christian or not. You say anything against this gay pride month or anything against aborticide, you're a homophobe, you're a terrorist, you're a Christian caucus, and we're going to stomp you out. This is what Claudius Caesar, and this was nothing compared to what happened when the baton was passed to Nero. There was a Roman writer... Roman writer during the reign of Claudius Caesar, name was Suetonius. Anybody remember that name? It's a big name. There's another one. Tacitus was another one, a big writer. I don't have anything about him. I will eventually. But here's what Caesar Suetonius said. He literally physically wrote this, and it's been questioned as to whether he was really talking about our Savior, but as I really dug into it a little harder, there's no doubt that's who he was talking about. Here's what quote that he had written. He was an actual writer down in the days when Jesus was here and Nero and Claudius. Here's what he wrote. As the Jews were making constant disturbances at the instigation of Christus, he expelled them from Rome. Claudius wanted them expelled. He didn't care where they lived. He didn't care if they had businesses. He wanted them out. He also wrote later on, I don't have any quotes yet, but he Suetonius also wrote during the evil reign of Nero, Christians are explicitly mentioned. This is not a quote, but I'm just saying this is basically what happened later. Christians are explicitly mentioned in Suetonius' biography of the emperor Nero as among those punished during Nero's reign. These punishments are generally dated to around A.D. 64. And if you know anything about Nero, Nero was illuminating his gardens with Christians and burning them as he ate his dinner. Hundreds and thousands of Christians were being burned at the stake to, in the evening, in the dinner theater, they called it, and they, to, to illumine the garden and to light it up. Can you imagine that? You think that's not happening? That's not going to happen here? Well, if they pass out a borderside bill, a little baby can be thrown on a gurney and they'll cut it to pieces, starting there. And we need to look at this. Because what's happening in Rome, I don't even, I don't agree with that little statement that New York is, uh, New York is little Rome and it's the epicenter. No, America is Rome and America would make Corinth blush right now. America would make Sodom and Gomorrah blush. So now we come to the point when we're, we're still learning about Aquila from Pontus. He winds up in Italy and then he gets kicked out. He and his wife Priscilla, can someone go look up 1 Peter 1 verse 1? Pontus was a very interesting place. Peter brings this to light. And Pontus actually was a real epicenter also of where Christians were living and they were cast out of there. Look at 1 Peter 1 1. Whoever has it, read that. Verses 1 and 2 if you could. Yep. This is grace and peace be multiplied unto you. That's the name of a real great ministry today, John MacArthur's. His grace be to you. That's where that comes from. Grace be unto you. These precious Christian Jews. They were strangers. And if you go on in the first book of Peter, Peter talks about don't consider it strange when people call you strange 
because you're a Christian. He goes, you stick with your craft, and if you're called to be a preacher, you preach. If you're called to teach, you teach. If you're a Christian, you do your work. And don't ever think that the Lord didn't give you some gift to use in order to serve Him. You have it. Use it. Peter says to do that, and he says when you use it, don't think it's strange when people call you strange. And this is exactly where we're at. He saved the strangers in Pontus. Well, Aquila and Priscilla were from Pontus. You see how this all connects? These Christians were connected. Many of them knew each other, and they fellowshiped together, and many of them were greatly persecuted. Can it come to America? I think it's already here. He and his wife Priscilla, Aquila and Priscilla, they were hard workers. They labored together. And this really does teach us a lesson as Christians that it is such a blessing, even in our craft and our trade profession. It's wonderful to be able to work with other believers. They worked together. It was a coalition, and they loved each other. And we see how that there are many conjectures regarding why the Jews were booted out of the areas of Rome. We must remember that the Gentiles equated Jews, whether they believed in Christ or not, as part of the Christian caucus. We see in our own policy today in America that when elections come up, the term Christian coalition or Christian caucus comes up and it appears, and that does not mean that every web, everyone is a Christian. The Christian caucus is like that Manhattan, um, that Manhattan Declaration that was out there years ago and it was supposed to be for the Christian caucus to sign it. Well, there were, there were Roman Catholic priests. There was all kinds of different varieties of religions, but it doesn't mean everybody is a born-again Christian. It's basically a stereotype and a platform, and that's what Claudius Caesar did. Anybody that was related to a Jew was considered a Christian, and he wanted them out. He wanted to kick them out. And this is what happens to Aquila and Priscilla. They find refuge with Paul, and they do the work in Corinth. So this would be the same with Claudius Caesar, because he basically thought that all Jews were like Jesus, and that since Jesus Christ was a Jew, they were all basically Christians, he did not differentiate at all. He just made sure he would lump them all basically into one big caucus and he would really ramp up the persecution and then Nero would take over. And I'll tell you what, what a bloodthirsty... That man was so wicked. There's some things I can't even... I wouldn't even want to repeat here that that man did regarding his kids. He was so filthy and wicked. He hated Christians. Just like basically at the White House does now. Well, we see here are some upcoming here are some upcoming verses in the book of Romans. We see how Paul valued and loved his fellow laborers. Romans sixteen one I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church which is at Gentria, that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatever business he she hath need of you, for she hath been a succor of many and of myself also. And here's chapter 16, verse 3 again. Listen to this. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. Paul loved them. He brings them up over and over and over again and says how much he loved them. You know, what, you know about Aquila and Priscilla? It is good to be in company and have conversation with those that we will for the rest in the, that we rest in the knowledge of Christ and put ourselves under the influence of such as a resolve that they will serve the Lord. It's good to be in the company and have conversation. I've been bringing this up almost every week. It happened again this week, so I'm going to bring it up. I walked into Safeway, and there's Brother James. <laughs> Brother James. Brother James is standing in the front. He's got a line of people. Now, this time he wasn't in the regular line. They now have self-checkout. So that is like a real congregation of people. Everybody's trying to fight their way into the self-checkout. 
so they can get in and out of there. Brother James is standing there. I, I turn around and he goes, Brother Tim! And I said, how you doing, Brother James? I'm redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ in front of the whole, in front of the whole store. And so he, him and I were quoting Bible verses back and forth, and he had some prayer requests. And I mean, that's this is what I'm talking about. It's just exciting to have other Christians out there, and you run into them out of nowhere. But here's something that I saw. It's very sad. And actually, I've read several commentaries. Matthew Henry had one, and he brought this. Man, it's brilliant. I love some of his commentary. I have to say some because I haven't read all of it. But, you know, what was sad about the situation with Aquila and Priscilla, what was sad with Paul, sad with many Christians, is if you want to bring this together, it was sadly to bring together the terse manner that Aquila and Priscilla were treated like many other Christian Jews. And we can go back all the way to the weeping prophet Jeremiah who shared the same sadness. You know what I love about these verses? And we're going to read them. He was not given over to tradition. Peter had written about being given over to tradition and worshiping the Lord predicated on what your ancestors did, whether it was right or wrong. That's a real epidemic in the Catholic Church. You will not pull Catholics away from what they believe in when they're trying to worship the same way as their great-grandparents did or their grandparents. They worship predicated on tradition, not what's right or wrong. But look at what Jeremiah reads here, writes here. Can somebody look up, let one of you guys do it. Jeremiah 12, verses 9, Jeremiah 12, 8 through 11. Read these verses very, very, you know, not too slow, but slowly, but just kind of like, ingest what Jeremiah is trying to say here. You can see what the plight of Aquila and Priscilla is. Thank you, Lisa. What was Jeremiah's name? What, what, what did they refer to him as? Is it any wonder why? He felt like his nation had completely turned their backs on him. You go back to Jeremiah 23, 1, he goes, Woe be unto those pastors. Many pastors have destroyed my vineyard. They have tried my portion. Wow, doesn't that sound a little contemporary? See, the Bible is an archaic relic that has no relevance today, and it's not inerrant. That's what many say. Boy, that sounds pretty contemporary. Many pastors have destroyed my vineyard. Look at the pastors today. Go down to the General Assembly in 2012 to stand against marriage equality, and I'm going to give you a percentage rate. I sat there during the testimonials for close to about five days, and I can tell you right now, every man of the cloth that went up there that was supposed to have a cross around his neck, or I'll bet you 80% of them were for marriage equality. 
I mean, they were for it adamantly. The pastor down here at Govins Presbyterian Church, how could a child not have two, two parents, whether it's a mommy's a mommy or daddy and a daddy? They were all for it. 80% of them, the pastors. Jeremiah felt like the whole Jewish nation had turned their back on him, and he felt like he had been greatly pushed to the side and treated like he was being pushed out of, out of his own nation. These are very sad verses, and I can imagine this is what Aquila and Priscilla felt like. He reasoned again, Paul, on the Sabbath day to the Greeks and Jews and gave them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, he goes in, we read the verses. What was the reaction to the Jews and the Gentiles in the synagogue? Remember, every time he went into town, he would go right into the synagogue and go right to the Jews first. Christ loved the Jews. He went then and first, and he would give them the gospel. What happened here when he went into it? Anybody want to read it to remind you? Look. He can, he can, uh, verse 6. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. They blasphemed him. I mean, he wasn't there <coughs> to cause a coup or to be violent. <coughs> he was there giving them the gospel. So, we're going to have to stop here in a minute. But look in the verses. And... The Lord, he never, the Lord never leaves us empty. He never leaves us without encouragement or hope. First of all, he has Aquila and Priscilla. Then as Paul is preaching, it says here, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. <coughs> and when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit. Hey, they showed up. It's like having the reserves come in. He comes, they come in there, and he is just pressed in the spirit. He is just in utter, just, uh, just utterly encouraged to see his brothers to, to be back there with him. He persuaded them. He persuaded them, and he wanted them to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, that's, that's incredible how that word is being used here. He persuaded the Jews and Greeks. This teaches us the urgency of Paul's preaching to the Corinthians. He would have been persuading them in the works <coughs> and person of Jesus Christ. And we get a great picture of this in his first letter to the Corinthians. Let me read this to you real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 24. I believe this is basically what he was saying. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And then Paul asks the questions in the next verse, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. This is who he's preaching to at the synagogue. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And he says always, the power of God and Christ Jesus who died for us. And he's he's telling them he was the Christ. The one that was here was the Christ and you missed it. And he says here basically... He tells them how the cross defies public opinion and community conscience. It distinguishes that without a shadow of doubt that Christ is God and he he was sent for this purpose to disturb the evil rulers and false prophets who do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
Paul persuaded them so that they would have the truth of Christ as a cloak of protection from all the lies that they have been filled with. That's the only cloak of protection you will ever have is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to protect you against (laughs) community conscience. And you can see all around us how many people have just grown so insensitive to all the horrible things that are out there right now. And it's only the only thing that's going to keep you grounded and keep you with the truth. And I don't mean truth. It's just some arbitrary, arbitrary belief. I am talking about truth that is to you. It is your life, the spirit of truth which Christ sent. You'll never go away from that because you have the gospel of Jesus Christ in your heart. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying it's that gospel that emboldens you and makes you rock solid. That is what you go back to. You don't go back to community conscience and legislation. You go back to the Bible and you stay in Scripture. (coughs) So the next time we meet, what we're going to be doing is we're going to talk about Silas and Timothy a little bit more. We're going to be talking about that Paul had departed in verse 7, and he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice. One that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And we're going to see a new name, another new friend of Paul's, Justice. So let's finish there, and we'll get moving forward this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for these words. Oh Lord, they're just music to our ears. Lord, and they're just a wonderful blessing to encourage us about the fellowship of our Lord Jesus Christ. How when Paul may have thought he was alone when he was in Athens, there was no one there with him when he was in Mars Hill, all of a sudden now he has Aquila and Priscilla, he has Silas and Timotheus come, and ultimately, as we will see in the next upcoming verses, thou spoke to him personally and said, don't be afraid. <coughs> and we just love thee and thank thee for that. Bless us as we go forward this morning and we hear thy word. That thou wouldst bless it to our hearts that we might not sin against thee. For it's in thy name we pray. Amen.